Well, good morning. Oh, I hope you all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor. Uh, it's a joy to be up here getting to preach through God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, uh, I want to invite you to join me in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16 this morning. And uh, while you open or load your Bible, uh, I have a couple of announcements for you just to uh, bring you up to speed. And if I go too fast in these announcements, all of this will be uh, on our social media platforms and our website. Uh, so the first announcement is more of a reminder. Uh, here at Storehouse McAllen, we have these uh, small groups called Missional Communities. For short, we call them MCs. MCs are our primary avenue for community and discipleship and care. And so if you want to get plugged in or you're not sure if your group is meeting yet, definitely hook up with uh, your MC leader or visit the Connect Desk or our website to get plugged into an MC. Now, in light of the times that we're all living in together, all of our MCs are really approaching gathering in creative ways. Um, some do meet in person and they do so creatively. Others are still online via Zoom and they feel that's the best way for their group to meet and so that's great. Whichever way you think is best for you or whatever night might work out for you, visit the website so you learn a little bit more about our MCs and how to get plugged in. The second one is uh, our ladies or women's gathering is going to be happening February 6th. Uh, it's either going to be here at the incubator or at the Old Church Winery. I believe it's going to be in the morning at 930. I could be wrong. Uh, but this gathering, ladies, is uh, in light of the Bible recap. If you were here last week, uh, there was a video on the big screen where my wife was talking about um, really just this commitment to studying and reading uh, the Bible over the course of this year. Um, got some feedback on it, like, oh man, we, we started reading this a couple of weeks in. The truth about it is uh, what started off as uh, three, four, five girls from our MC quickly grew to about 20 women, and so we needed space. And uh, I love y'all, but my house doesn't have all that. And so uh, we decided to make it public, uh, invite all of the ladies. And again, that's going to be February 6th. Uh, you can talk to Elsie. Um, she will give you a little bit more details on that. Again, all of this is on the website. But the first monthly gathering is set for February 6th. The following week, uh, which is February 13, gentlemen, we're going to be having uh, a men's gathering. Now, that's either going to be we're, we're going back and forth or either doing something very early in the morning or around lunchtime because we want to be cool. And so we're going to do something uh, leading up to uh, uh, February 13th. You'll know where we're headed in scripture, similar to our time a couple of months ago, this is going to be um, something similar to that. Again, uh, time and location will be given to you as we make our way there. So quick recap, ladies, February 6th, somewhere here, here at the incubator or the winery. Gentlemen, February 13th, that's the following Saturday. We'll give you all the details leading up to that date. That's all the announcements I have. If I was vague, visit the website or ask someone else. Um, here we go. Let's just, let's just dive in. <laughs> Thank you. It seems as if the phrase Christian maturity gets thrown around uh, loosely in our churches and it means something different to everyone. And as long as you have your own version and definition, you should be in the clear. 
For some in the church, Christian maturity is measured by endurance. That is, maybe you have been a Christian for a number of years, therefore your endurance is what gives you maturity. For others, it might be Christian thought. That is, that you read so many books that you are growing in your understanding and in the academic uh, study of theology. Therefore, your maturity is based on how profound the books you're reading are. Some Christians uh, would measure maturity through activism, whether that would be doing good and being active in social concerns and issues, even things like nationalism or patriotism or local efforts and needs based on the activity level in these aspects, a Christian must be mature if they are actively involved. Or perhaps Christian maturity is simply viewed as something for super-Christians, the elite, if you will, those who are particularly in leadership because that's what it primarily means to be in those kinds of positions, mature. And so thus far we have examined or at the very least taken a broad view of Christian maturity as measured by endurance, intellect, activism, and status or position. But what if none of these are the case? And to be fair, these aren't the only things. I'm just presenting you with a broad stroke of various ways upon which Christians might define and view maturity. And so you might have more to add. But what if none of these are the case? To be fair, each one of these does offer some help in Christian maturity. For instance, the longer you've been a Christian, the deeper your affection for God and Christ should be. Or, if you're digging into some serious theological study, the greater your appreciation and worship for Christ ought to be. Or perhaps if you are heavily active in the community in a variety of different social avenues, perhaps your love for God in making disciples by proclaiming and practicing his gospel is the fruit of your walk. Or should you be in a position of leadership, perhaps your pursuit of humility is that much greater. That's what it should be. And so each one of these aspects of maturity are helpful, but not entirely complete. And so here's what I want to argue this morning, and this is the main idea. I want to argue that Christian maturity should be defined as this. The ongoing process of regularly and lovingly reintroducing the gospel to ourselves and to one another. I'll say it one more time. Christian maturity is the ongoing process of regularly and lovingly reintroducing the gospel to ourselves and to one another. 
Last week, we looked at the definition of discipleship and the purpose of discipleship, saying, number one, that discipleship is meeting people where they are and taking them where Jesus wants them to be. That's how we at Storehouse McAllen would define that, define discipleship, that is. And then number two, that the purpose of discipleship is reorienting our lives toward the beauty and splendor of God in Christ. That is, as we are going, as we are discipling one another, the goal is that we would be redirecting, reshaping not only what we believe, but how we walk toward the beauty and splendor of God in Christ in the ordinary So when we consider Christian maturity, we are looking at discipling one another by maturing one another, and that involves the gospel, or at the very least, it involves reintroducing the gospel to one another regularly. So I'm going to read these first uh, couple of verses, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at what God has to say for us through the Apostle Paul. This is beginning in verse 13. Again, if you just got here, we're in Ephesians 4, uh, beginning in verse 13. Here's what he writes, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Let me pray. Father God, we begin by thanking you for another day to praise your name. We thank you, Jesus, for being our good God and Savior. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in us for your glory and our good. God, if I am honest, I am not sure how often we consider our own spiritual maturity. However, I do know that its promise is to grow up, or its purpose is to grow up into Christ. A process, not of self-improvement, but self-denial. As we examine your scriptures today, would you reveal yourself to us throughout our time and study. Holy Spirit, pierce the condition of our hearts with your word for your glory and our good. May this time of worship, study, and meditation be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul has become intentionally practical as he addresses the Ephesian church. Up until chapter 3, he has been very theological. We would say that he has been very Pauline. In other words, when you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, one, uh, I suppose, tip and trick is that the first half of each of his letters are profoundly theological, and his goal in the first half of each of his letters is to remind the churches, remind the Christians that he is writing to of what God has done for them in Christ and of who they are in Christ. 
And then the second half of his letters tend to be very practical, as if now he is beginning to teach them how to apply the theology that he has just written to them about. So when he says he's very Pauline, in other words, the first half of his letters tend to be, again, theological. The second half of his letters tend to be very practical, where he is applying that theology. And if you're new, that's one of the things that we try to emphasize here at Storehouse, that what you believe shapes how you live. And this is what Paul is getting at in this chapter. Earlier in this section, Paul writes of the role and purpose of church leadership, and that is, in verse 11, saying, to equip the saints, that is the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. One of the things that you need to know is that if you are a Christian, then you are in ministry. If you are a Christian, then you are in ministry. Because, excuse me, and because ministry is our goal within the church, then we ought to mature one another into the fullness of God in Christ. In doing so, we must realize that maturity is a process and that growth takes time. Paul says it this way in verse 13, until we attain. So we are striving for maturity. We are actively participating in maturing one another and we are not running blind toward maturity. Again, Paul writes, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Paul then provides four marks of Christians maturing one another in this short section. And I want to add this before we dive into each one of these marks of Christian maturity. I want to add this, that this is happening within the context of the local church community. That when we begin to consider Christian maturity, it is happening or it happens in the context of the local church community in ordinary life. And the goal is to reorient one another toward the beauty and splendor of God. And the way which we do that is by reintroducing the gospel to ourselves and to one another over and over, and over, and over, and over again. And when you think you're done, over, and over, and over again. So let's consider the first mark. The first mark of Christian maturity within the local church is unity. It's the first thing Paul tells us. <clears throat> The aim of unity is that we move together as one body with multiple members, not as multiple members of multiple bodies. And here, what God says through Paul is specific in light of what he means by unity. So let's read it very briefly. Verse 13, he says, until, what, until we all attain, so that is the process of us striving for maturity, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So he breaks unity down into two facets. 
faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So if you're taking notes or if you're writing in your Bibles, here's where we got to get a little nerdy because it's important, okay? When you see the word faith in the scriptures, often it, it refers to our response to the work of God in us. So for instance, faith is our response to a heart changed by God. That would be an example of, of, of faith working out of us. That's not what Paul means in this short verse. In this short verse, when Paul writes faith, he is talking about the content or the fundamentals of the Christian faith, what we believe as Christians, theological truths, objective truths about what God has revealed to us in his word. You could say it this way, he is talking about content, not so much what it looks like in your life, he is talking specifically about content. When he says unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, he's not necessarily talking about knowledge that is up in the head. In this section, the phrase knowledge of the Son of God, it doesn't necessarily lean toward content, but the working out of that content. Pastor and theologian James Boyce says that uh, when Paul writes to the knowledge of uh, the Son of God, he is referring to, quote, the experiential knowledge of Jesus attained through day-by-day discipleship. So here, when Paul says that we are striving for unity in faith, he's talking about the fundamental Christian beliefs that all believers ought to share. Close-handed issues, we could say it that way. Jesus is God. We serve a, a, a triune God, three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Salvation is through faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. That's theological, fundamental Christian truths. That's what he's talking about in this section when he uses the word faith. When he uses the phrase, we strive for unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, he is talking about now that faith being lived out in our lives. He is talking about a faith that begins in the head, but is now traveled to the heart and is traveled to the hands. Unity requires both faith and knowledge because those are the two pillars that stand upon the foundation of Jesus as Lord. While Paul is not preaching uniformity, we cannot dismiss unity within the local body. Unity is the basis by which we speak to one another in truth with love. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. When we start here, that is in unity, we start with the gospel. So, the first mark of Christian maturity is unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. The second mark is Christ-likeness. And I suppose we can substitute that for the word godliness. The Apostle Paul uses that word elsewhere. But I wanted to use Christ-likeness because I wanted to be specific about the kind of maturity we are striving toward. In other words, we're not simply maturing to mature, but to be more like Jesus. 
Lately, the word godliness lacks specificity and seems to be lumped into morality, which isn't bad, but we can miss the mark of our maturity becoming self-righteous. Nevertheless, the Apostle Paul writes, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, he is teaching, or the aim of his teaching is maturity that's not unintentional, but for the purpose of Christ-likeness, and he elaborates on this point by saying, so that we may no longer be children. So he's telling us that as we mature one another, we are striving for unity. That is part of us maturing one another. We are also striving for Christ-likeness, that our desire is to be more like Jesus. And the reason we want to be more like Jesus, the reason we want to grow deeper in our affections of what God has revealed about himself in Scripture is so that we would not stay children so that we would not stay as children. Growing in maturity individually and corporately keeps us from staying as infants, as children. If you haven't been around children, they are absolutely wonderful. They are very fun. They say some profound things. And uh, they are a joy to be around. However, children are easily deceived. Children are easily distracted. Paul writes that the purpose of us maturing one another into Christ-likeness is one, so that we wouldn't stay as children, but in addition to that, so that we wouldn't be at, so we wouldn't stay as children, he says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. When we push and strive for one another to grow in Christ-likeness, we are able to guard ourselves and one another against false doctrine, which means that we are able to identify false doctrine. We are able to grow up in discernment against deceptions and lies and trends that attack the Christian faith. That's the purpose of us pushing and striving to mature one another in Christ-likeness. But here's the concern. And I mentioned this last week in light of what we learned from 2020. The concern is that many Christians, even in our church, many Christians are immature, not because they are incompetent, not because they don't have the capability of growing, but because they are sluggish. They are dull of hearing. The author of Hebrews says it this way in, in chapter five about this, and I'm gonna give you a very, very, very big overview of this. Uh, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What the author is talking about is he kind of stops in the middle of his letter and he is saying, I want to tell you more about Jesus, but I can't because you're not going to get it. Not because you're incompetent or unintelligent, but because you have become dull of hearing. You have become apathetic. You have become sluggish. 
And then he exhorts them. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The concern is that if we are or become dull of hearing, we actually regress back into spiritual childhood. We could say it that way. But the reason we regress is because we actually don't take the time to be intentional about us being in God's word, growing in our affection for God, for one another. And so what ends up happening is that we become unskilled in how to handle the word of God and we become unskilled in our discernment. So whether things are uh, uh, doctrinally false or doctrinally good, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference between good and evil, godly and ungodly, good theology and bad theology. Because as long as it's under the Christian book section, it must be good. And because a member in our congregation reposted it on Facebook, that must be a really good message. And so if we are striving to grow up in Christ-likeness or to, to push one another to mature in Christ-likeness, then we need to understand that we don't want to stay as children. Therefore, that requires us to reintroduce the gospel to ourselves and to one another over and over and over and over again so that we would actually be able to discern deceitful schemes human cunning, and false doctrine. The more you read your Bible, I tell some of the, 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 the young dudes this, right? The more you read your Bible, your shelves, your bookshelves, should have some crap theology so that you can tell what other people are, are saying. And you may be able to identify it. Gotta have some trash on there. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but you do. You got to know what's going on, right? The problem is some people have uh, some crap and they say it's good. It's not. Anyway. <laughs> I digress. I don't want to go into this. Anyway. <laughs> Christian maturity aims at growing up into Christ so that we are more like Christ daily. Therefore, as we inject the gospel and reintroduce the gospel to ourselves and to one another, we die to ourselves and our selfish desires so that we would be more like Christ, reflecting his name and glory to one another and to those who don't know him. The third mark of Christian maturity is truth. Paul writes that we are to speak the truth to one another. Therefore, I want to focus on one thing here, the truth. Speaking the truth to one another begins with knowing God and knowing God's word. Got to start there. Because I know you will read that. I think that's in verse 14. Uh, Paul writes, 
excuse me, it's verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. I think we immediately want to be very practical, right? Because Paul is being very practical. So tell me, what do I need to do in order to speak the truth, right? Yeah, I get love, but tell me about the truth. Well, let's begin with you, the individual. If we are going to speak the truth, particularly to one another and certainly to ourselves, then it begins with knowing God and knowing God's word. A deep affection for the word and the promises of God. If maturity is for the purpose of growing up into Christ, then we must first be in Christ. Meaning we must first belong and surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is incredibly important because in discipleship, you got to remember, we are making and maturing disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves and not of the culture. More than good advice, we need good news. And we ourselves need to know that good news. That God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ who lived in our place, died the death that we deserve, and freely offers us a salvation that we cannot earn. So when it comes to speaking the truth, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to go slowly. These Don't answer these. These are for your uh, study and reflection. And again, we're speaking primarily to truth. And I think some of you might even want to know, yeah, but tell me more. Like when we say speak truth, that means we ought to know our theology. Yes, you should know your theology. You should be reading some really good books in addition to that. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Don't get too excited or ahead of me. Here's some of the questions. I just want you to think. Scripture says a lot about meditation. Here we go. How many conversations did you have this week with other believers where the truth of God was absent? How many times did we repent and leave the message of the work of Christ absent from our prayer or from our interaction with one another? Brothers, sisters, friends, spouses. How many times did you call out your fellow brother or sister without reminding them of the grace of the Lord Jesus for them this week? If we're going to speak the truth to one another, we need to recognize that it begins with knowing God and his word first. Everybody loves talking about authenticity and spirituality, but nobody wants to be godly or Christ-like. We all talk about how connected we are and how busy we are, but the truth is many of us are lazy or apathetic. Many Christians are quick to own up but never actually repent. I pray that that would be our heart today as we lay it out before the Lord. That if we're going to talk about truth, 
and speaking it, that it begins with us knowing God and knowing God's word first. The final mark of Christian maturity is love. So Paul says, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Practically speaking, this would be the most important one out of all of them. When you look at unity, if you do not have a love for the Lord Jesus first, then you're simply basing unity off of what you think and feel. Therefore, your foundation can be unstable. When we look at Christ-likeness, if you lack a love for God, then you run the risk of being self-righteous. If you lack love in truth, then truth without love is bitter orthodoxy. Here is what Pastor Tim Keller says about love and truth. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us important, excuse me, it gives us information, but in such a way that we really cannot hear it. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. We cannot separate truth from love. And love is not simply an emotion, but an action convinced by conviction. Well, how is it convinced and how is it put into action? By reintroducing the gospel to ourselves and to one another over and over and over and over again. Our deepest desire is for ourselves and our brothers and our sisters in Christ to be more like him. And so let's talk about truth and love for a minute. When we speak the truth without love, we demonstrate two things. The first is that we demonstrate a lack of maturity, a lack of maturity. And oftentimes your basis for truth is really just hammering someone with the right information, but the motivation is often fear of being vulnerable. Therefore, you hide behind, let's say, theology. Some of you know a lot of Bible, and that's good. Man, I want you to know a lot of Bible. And a lot of people, and this might be you, hide behind that so that they wouldn't be vulnerable when it comes to having a conversation with a spouse or a brother or a sister. Now, to be fair, being vulnerable is, is very difficult. It's not easy because vulnerability is not only am I putting my shield down, I'm also hooking you up with my sword. It's hard. It's not just being transparent. Transparency is giving you enough to know about me, but uh, not enough so that you can hurt me. You know what I'm saying? And then we go to vulnerability. Not only am I putting my shield down, I'm giving you that sword. And looking at you suspiciously. You know what I mean? Valley style. So, uh, <laughs> y'all know, you know what that means, right? Like, you look at one another suspiciously because I don't know how this is going to go. But nevertheless, oftentimes, and this might not be, this isn't an absolute, I'm being general. 
But oftentimes, we lack maturity to, to actually speak the truth with love, and, and the reason for that is because we fear being vulnerable. And so we hide behind our, our theology, or maybe even our intellect, or, or our schedules. I, I've seen Christians, uh, rather than addressing sin, whether it's in their life or, or, or things that they are kind of trying to tackle, man, they will quote me all sorts of pieces of scripture. They will look at historic theologians, and they're telling me a lot of really good stuff. Unfortunately, it's incomplete. What about the other side? When we speak with love and without truth, we demonstrate two things. We demonstrate our lack of maturity and fear. Fear of perhaps being rejected. Man, that if I, that if I put this on the table, what if they respond poorly? What if they are no longer my friend? What if this causes some, some wounds? We're afraid of being rejected, and so we hide behind sentimentality. The problem here is that we're actually doing a disservice to our brother or sister by, by not explaining the truth. Similar to what, what Keller said, right? We, they continue to walk in denial of their flaws. You never actually get to the heart of it. When we look at speaking the truth in love, I want you to revisit this verse. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love, it's not separate. In, in the original language, it wouldn't necessarily make sense in, in English, but it's almost as if he would be saying it this way, and it's going to sound weird. He says, rather, uh, truthing with love. In other words, like it is something that you are doing Daily, you're walking in it daily. Love and truth aren't separate. How you engage one another isn't just tactful. It is loving and uh, so that you would see them grow up in Christ. But the core of that is that we ourselves are rooted in truth. Speaking the truth in love... <clears throat> Speaking the truth in love to one another cannot be divorced because it forces you to reintroduce the gospel to yourself first. It humbles you. I mean, think about it, especially if you're that firecracker, right? Man, I just want to share truth. I just want to be straight up about X, Y, and Z. What if you preached the gospel to yourself first? It would more than likely humble you. Think about it. The most influential person you know is you because you talk to yourself more than you talk to anyone else. So what is it that you're preaching to yourself? What gospel are you preaching to yourself? Love for one another allows us to speak the truth correctly as we mature one another in Christ. So as I wrap it up, the aim of Christian maturity is us growing up in Christ through the reintroducing of the gospel to ourselves and to one another again and again, reminding one another that Jesus is not only our Savior, but substitute, that we are no longer in bondage to our sin, but redeemed by his blood. Therefore, 
Christian. As we look at these marks of maturity within ourselves in the context of the local church, unity, Christ-likeness, truth, love, do you forfeit one of those? Do you forfeit one of those for your own gain? Or perhaps you forfeit all of them because you don't want to be in community to begin with. That is, that is a very unwise and, and foolish decision. So as you examine these marks of maturity and as you consider the brothers and sisters that you have around yourself, are there, or as we look at these four marks, do you forfeit any one of these? If so, I just want to encourage you to put that on the table this morning in confession. But then I also want to challenge you to put that on the table when you meet with your small group or your discipleship group or someone regular. You put it on there. Now, here's the, here's the part when I, here's the quick challenge, right? Like if you call Storehouse home, let me encourage and challenge you to put that on the table with someone from Storehouse. Some people are like, yeah, no, I get it. There's a prayer request on the Gospel Coalition website. It's a feedback. I submitted my stuff. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not talking about like, yes, I talked about my sin at, uh, you know, askgod at gmail.com and they're going to pray for me. Like, that's not, no, I'm talking about in the context of the local church community, let me challenge you to not only put this on the table before the Lord in confession, but let me challenge you to put this on the table before a brother or sister. Let's be, let's be gracious this week. And then finally, if, if, if you're not a Christian, if, if you're not a Christian, you can come to know Jesus today. You can come to know Jesus today for he invites and is ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in repentance. And the idea of that is not only so that you would belong to him and no longer be at war with him, but so that you would grow in these marks, in these fruits of the Christian life, so that you would be matured in Christ. Church, Christian maturity is the ongoing process of regularly and lovingly reintroducing the gospel to ourselves and to one another. Let's pray. Father God, we end this time of study in your word and ask that you would, through your spirit, reveal our hearts before us. Lord, reveal the core and the depth of our sin. Reveal our desperate need for Jesus. Reveal our deepest desire so that if it does not line up with your will, that we would lay them out on the table right now in confession. Lord, your love and beauty and sending Christ to die for sinners means that you do not leave us in our sin, but meet us where we are with your grace and mercy rescuing us. So God, may we find comfort in your salvation. May we submit ourselves 
to the Lordship of Jesus so that we may grow up in him, lacking nothing. Holy Spirit, would you create a fervent devotion in our, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our daily walk for your word and worship of you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.